Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. It is good to set time aside to God. It is good whether you're doing that at home or no matter where you are watching from or you're here and you've come to set that time aside. There's something special and important about reminding ourselves of why we're here. We're here to worship God. I want to remind you this morning, you are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Yes? Come on. So good. So good. Ephesians 2, 6 tells us God raised up us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's more than a doctrinal statement, people. That's more than just some fanciful hope. This is the opportunity for every single believer to, in Jesus to experience the reality of His presence and to experience Christ so that we might Think from a heavenly perspective. It's when we start knowing and understanding who we are, whose we are, and why we're made, we can start to live in ways that literally can change the world around us. And that's why you and I, we are sons and daughters, and we need to be reminded of it. The invitation is to live in the, conscience of the consciousness of the presence of God and in that place to live from the reality of that kingdom to this one. That's what we get to do. Never reduce your Christian faith to a list of principles and uh, it should never be out of, relationship, out of the loss of relationship, okay? Um, not a lot to do with the rest of the message, just excited to be able to tell you that this morning. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Good, good. We've been talking a lot about revival this year. We started the year talking about breakthrough. We kind of haven't stopped talking about it. And we're coming to, you know, the middle of the end of September. And we're still talking about it because this morning I want to encourage you. I want to bring hope and I want to bring faith into you this morning to encourage you. The breakthrough is still there to achieve. The breakthrough is near. We need to hang in there and remind ourselves that the good word of God never fails and uh, he's up to something he is definitely on the move and we want to see what God can do amongst us and in us this year and it got me to asking the questions then what is required to live in such a way that the kingdom of heaven comes to earth and is displayed through us what does it mean to be a Christ follower a Christian a disciple living out our spirituality what elements of the kingdom of God were important to Jesus and are vital to us and will remain for all eternity? And I was reading in Corinthians this week, and this is what sparked the idea of this week and next week's messages. And you've got Paul writing these letters to the churches in Corinth, this new church that's experiencing so much growth in and amongst a world that has little context to do with Christianity. This 
almost sect that's come out of Judaism and the, the rest of the world that is so worldly and, and, and full of other gods and all sorts of ways in which they lived for the day and just for the thing that pleased them. And this is creeping into the church, but at the same time, the church is exploding and there's supernatural signs and wonders and, and worship is off the hook and the spiritual gifts are, are just you know uh, 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 unfolding before people. And Paul writes to them to try to guide them and to correct them and to challenge them and to pull them in and to you know just really bring them to that understanding of, hey, I want to constantly remind you and anchor you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This is one of the things that he just keeps bringing them back to. And so that you might live a life that is in the Spirit. And uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's uh, this, this chapter on love. If you've been to a wedding any time, you would have landed on this at some stage. And it's mixed in between these ideas of spiritual gifts and orderly worship and other stuff that's going on. And right smack bang in the middle is this, this chapter on love. And when you get to the end of that chapter, you hear about these three elements. And it says these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The effectiveness, the purpose, and ultimately the true joy of our life is found by living a life that is rooted, grounded, stems from faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love form a simple and powerful root for all we are and all that we are to do. And the tragedy is you can come to church all of your life and do life without faith, do life without hope, do life without love. But if everything you do comes from this root, you can actually change the world around you. These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And today we're going to talk about faith and hope. And I'll leave love for next week because it's the greatest of these, okay? So it needs a little more time. Faith and hope. Faith in its most simplest form is believing in God based on who he is and what he has said. This is somewhat of a, what we call an informed faith. There, at some levels of, 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 of faith we have to believe in God is a gift from him. In Ephesians chapter 2, we see it's by grace that you are saved through faith so that no one can boast. It's a, a free gift. So we have this gift that is given to us in order to believe. But most of our, our faith stems from and comes in his understanding is rooted in believing in who God says he is and what he can do. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from hearing that is, hearing the good news about Christ. At its essence, faith is trusting in God based on what we know of his character and his word. It's within his word that we understand who he is, who he has said he is, his understanding not only of himself, but as others explore the relationship with him, we get to see this and we understand faith is trusting in this. These elements of, of that he is good, that he is faithful, he is kind, he is just. 
And these are so important elements for us to lean on in faith because we look at the world around us and we think like last week when we talked about Freedom Sunday and we think, well, the world is just so unjust. There's just so much stuff happening that would never in the, the idea of God's beautiful creation would he have wanted it to end up like it is. And so we've got to trust that ultimately he is a just God. There is going to be something that is done about that and we get to partner with him. This type of faith, this type of informed faith is, is derived from embracing the word and the intent of God and relying on his divine nature. Our salvation is obtained when we understand what God has done for us, when we embrace forgiveness, when we receive redemption and the love and we place Jesus as Lord of our lives. And we continue to live by that same faith of trusting in him for those things day by day, learning of God's nature through his word and the experience of his grace and love in our lives increases our faith day by day to trust him, to lean on him, to walk in his ways. But our faith is constantly being put to the test. Our faith is opposed. Faith seems easier to define than it does to live out. Faith runs sometimes in opposition to the culture of the world around us, for sure. The predominant worldly culture based in a, a, a humanistic and an individualistic anti-faith worldview. And if we aren't careful, we can slip into this type of thinking. Christians can easily disengage from the root of faith when we're disappointed that our faith isn't working. Ever felt like that? Felt like, well, this, this, this isn't working. No matter how much I believe in this stuff, it's just not working. And I think Satan's, the enemy's modus operandi is not so much to head on oppose our faith, but get us to move away from living in faith by bending it slightly off course. And he does that by tempting us to trust God for those things that he's never promised to provide. He tries to reduce God to a, a, the level of a, an enabling parent who constantly gives the child whatever they want rather than letting them grow in character through the experience and resistance of struggle. And it's in that selfish place that uh, there comes an expectation of God. And Satan says things like, well, you know what? A blessed life would be a life of no troubles. A blessed life would be a, a, a life where you, you never have to think again about finances or because God prospers you and blesses you to have whatever you want. And Satan ends up trivializing our, our faith. And by doing this, he sets us up for inevitable failure since God's not obliged, nor has he ever promised to merely give us whatever what we feel like we want. So in a disappointed state, we come to a place where we no longer have to have faith. We don't live in faith. We want, don't want to have faith in God. We retreat back to a place of safety, not believing for anything, but building a life discontented away from the root of faith. Instead, we 
We need to see faith more like as a journey. We often find ourselves receiving more faith from Jesus through times of trial and hardship than we do through times of ease. Stepping stones of increasing our action and our reliance upon the truths of God and his promises seem to increase our faith. Faith is rooted in God's nature and provision. We anchor it there. For example, faith is is believing that God is Lord over everything in our lives, that he is our provider. We just prayed about that in our service. We spent some time dwelling and thinking upon that. And uh, many of us have, have, under the lordship of Jesus, said, hey, God, I recognize you're in control of all things. That includes my finance. And so I'll start with a 10% tithe to say, here we go. This is yours. But I really realize that it's all yours, God. I trust in you. I'm sitting under your control and your lordship and I trust in you. It's not simply knowing that this is true. Faith turns our knowing into believing, into action. It's when we have that, those down times in our finances, when we look at the spreadsheet and we go, oh no, can I actually still afford to give to God? That's the testing moment of faith. It's the belief in that he is my provider and so I continue to trust him even in those moments and times and I continue to display the lordship over my life in those areas that are being tested and faith stands up and says, I will trust and believe that you have said you will be my provider. I will trust and believe that you're gonna look after me and so I'll do what you've asked me to do. Faith gets put into action. I want to show you how faith and hope are linked. But before I do that, I I need you to know what the Bible talks about when it mentions hope. There are three ways in which the word hope, that we use the word hope. Uh, we, We use the word hope, at least in these ways, but hope is the desire of something good for a future. Yeah? Something good in the future. My kids might say something like, I hope dad gets home early so that we can shoot hoops before dinner. Okay? In other words, they desire for me to get home early so we can experience the good thing, namely playing together before dinner. We use hope in other ways, like hope is a good thing in the future that we desire. Oh, our hope is that our friends will arrive from their trip safely. In other words, our friend's safe arrival is the object of our hope. We use it in other ways. We say hope is the reason why our our hope might indeed come to pass. We say something like a good tailwind is our only hope of arriving early or on time. In other words, the tailwind is the reason we may in fact achieve the future good that we desire. It's our only hope. So just three ways in which we use that. But all of these are found in the Bible, but the most important biblical feature of hope is not present in any of those examples of hope, those ordinary uses of the word hope. In fact, 
the distinctive meaning of hope in Scripture is almost the opposite to any of our ordinary hope. I, I don't mean that it's, it's, it's totally different from, but it's this. It's that in biblical hope, we are expressing certainty rather than uncertainty. All the ways in which we've just expressed our, our hope, I, I have this, I don't have any certainty dad's going to come home early, but I hope he does. I don't have any real certainty that, that, that the friends will arrive safely, but I hope they do. I don't know if we're going to get there early because I don't have any certainty we're going to get a tailwind, but I hope we do. They all base their, their sense of hope in a, a feeling of uncertainty. But I want to let you know that biblical hope is, is rooted in an understanding and a desire for something good in the future that is a confident expectation and desire of that good thing. Biblical hope is not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen. There's a, a level of certainty in our hope. And this is where faith and hope are linked together. In Colossians 1 verse 5 it says, Faith and love spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is real, it's tangible, it has substance to it. Hope is like the precursor to faith. It leads the way. It opens the door towards faith. I don't think it's too big a stretch to say that faith wouldn't exist without hope. Hebrews 6, 11 to 12. It says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In the context, it's saying that... With all the zeal of the past that enabled you to work and love in the name of Christ, with all that zeal, keep on pursuing the full assurance of hope to the end. There is no fight, there is no quest, there is no challenge, no war more urgent than this. Keep your hope hot. And it feels like the times we're living in are just so uncertain, I needed to give us an injection of hope. We look around at the world around us and, and things just seem so uncertain, but we're challenged to have a biblical hope to enter the fight, to keep the quest and the challenge going. This is the confidence we have in hope. It's not a finger-crossing hope. It's not the lip-biting gaze as you watch the field goal to be slotted in the last seconds of some of the matches we've been watching lately. In fact, verse 12 implies that hope and faith are almost synonymous. Verse 12 says, the result of that pursuit of hope is that you'll be like those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. 
Pursue hope so that you can be like real men and women of faith. That term full assurance, it's found in one other place in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. However, there it's the full assurance of faith instead of the full assurance of hope. It says, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. Then in the next verse, it says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Where does our faith rest? In him. Not in how much faith we have, not in how much hope we have, but in him, the one who we keep our eyes on. Hope is something that we shouldn't waver, that shouldn't be tossed around because it's rooted in the faithfulness of God. The good news is that because far too often we think that hope and faith are all about us, but the good news is not really about us at all. Both are given to us by God when we cry out to Him and He is faithful to deliver. The Hebrew word for hope is the word tikwa. It's the most common word translated into hope in our English language out of the scriptures. It literally means a cord or a rope. But figuratively, it's always speaking of this idea of hope and expectancy. So figuratively, it's expectancy, it's hope, but literally, it's like a rope, okay? Now, forgive me, I've used this illustration before many years ago, but you might recognize it. Have a look at this. When, when a ship is beside a dock, it's anchored or it's moored to the dock by these mooring lines. Okay, you can see them there. These, these big, heavy ropes that are, that are big, they're thick, they're like 10 centimeters in diameter, and you might have six or eight of these holding an incredibly large vessel secure to the dock. And our faith is like those mooring lines. It holds us tight to what we believe. That's what our faith does. It holds us tight to what we believe. Okay, I, I need some help, and I've enlisted the help of Andrew this morning, and uh, just to make this come real to you guys this morning, put your hands together. Andrew, thank you. Okay. You see, the thing is that even those lines, if you have a look at that picture again, that the lines that are up on that, those mooring lines, you can see that they're quite a long way from the ship to the, to the dock, right? And they're heavy. They're probably heavier than the ones we have here. But the problem is that those, those things are pretty, you can't just pick it up and throw it. Like, Andrew, you could try. Just give it a, give it a hoik over to me. Not bad. Round of applause. Strong man. Thank you. Thank you. But the, the thing is that, that that's not actually going to get there. They don't throw the mooring line off the ship. They don't throw that down onto the dock. What they have is a leading line. And this leading line is a thin rope. And this thin rope has what's called a monkey's fist attached to the end that weights the rope so that it can be thrown out. So uh, have another go and see if you can get this one to me. All right, you don't knock me out. 
Oh, very good. Look at that. All right. And so what they do at the dock is they just pull in the leading line. And when they're pulling in the leading line, it's attached to one of the thicker mooring lines. And that enables them to be able to pull over, to bridge the gap between what is at the dock ready to be secured and what is happening untethered to the ship. This is how they get these secure lines that are like our faith and this leading line becomes like our hope. It helps us to, hope bridges the gap between the now and the faith that we have that will securely hold us tight. Andrew, thank you so much. You can, you can I can, well, I can't help you. You're gonna have to help yourself with that. <laughs> Whoa, nearly knocked him out. Uh, you can keep pulling that one across there. Okay, very good. Yeah, I'll help you. I'll throw this back at you. All right, yeah, catch. Oh, nice work. So that's how hope works in our lives. It's the initial connection that bridges the gap between what is and what will faith will bring to pass. When we have an expectant anticipation that something is really going to happen, rather than just wish or have a desire that it will, it actually seeds our faith. That's what hope does, it seeds our faith. It connects us to the thing in the spiritual world that our faith will then pull across into the natural world. Hope becomes the means by which we access faith to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, breakthrough. How do we see breakthrough? How do you see breakthrough in your own personal life? How do you see it in the kingdom of heaven breaking into earth as Jesus ushered it in and is continuing to extend it? One of Jesus' favorite sayings was that the kingdom of God is at hand as if you can reach it, as if you can grasp it, as if you can lay hold of it. If you can do that, you can adopt it into your heart and you can live from its benefits. That's the hope we have and the faith that we trust in God to do the rest. Paul taught that we are seated with Christ now in the heavenlies. The apostle John wrote that we are children of God now. And even though someday we shall be like him fully, yet as Jesus is now, so we are in this world, it says in 1 John chapter 3. That's mind-blowing. It seems that we can have a foot in two places. One planted firmly in our current place, but the other planted in a future reality of heaven, of the breakthrough. And because we have the Bible, we have something outside ourselves that we can truly expect to come about when we look at those promises that are contained within the Word of God. Trusting that God is true to His own Word, that's faith, and get excited about actually seeing them to come to be in our own lives, that's hope. It gives us the certainty of these things. But just like faith, hope can be opposed. Just like our faith, the enemy also wants to oppose hope in your life. In fact, if he can destroy your hope, you won't act in faith. 
And he'll not only come against your hope directly, but by the more subtle approach again of disengaging with biblical definition of hope, that confident expectation or that desire for something good in the future. And he'll start getting you to think of it in the culture of this world, a more wishful type of hopelessness. If I were the devil, I'd suck you into thinking about hope as merely wishful thinking. Or worse still, that through the demands and the struggles of the deep water of life, that things are actually hopeless. You need things and God isn't giving them to you. If this or that doesn't happen, you won't be able to cope any longer. This won't get better in the future, you know. You need to take things into your own hands now. Are they any of the the thoughts that you've had to even process this week? As the enemy wants to sidetrack our hope, our expectation, and the, 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 the expectation, the desire for something good is what our hope seeds into our faith. And he may even convince you that your, your past determines your future. It's so easy to place our hope in all of the wrong things. But God says his kingdom's not of this world. Don't place your hope there. In fact, the things of this world do not provide a firm foundation for our lives at all. Only when we look to the truly firm foundation of living and loving and working with Jesus Christ will we find a hope that can anchor our souls. It begins and ends in our relationship with God. Satan diverts our mind off the eternal and will put it straight back onto the temporal. When he was directly opposing Jesus in the wilderness, he said, well, you must be starving hungry. You've been fasting so long. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And he said similar things to us. But listen to what it says about hope in Romans chapter five. It says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, this empowering presence in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope and hope does not put us to shame the devil's going to want to make you feel like your hope is just shameful there's no reality in your hope your hope is can't you see what's happening right now in your own circumstances of your life and the world around us that's what the devil's going to try to say the lord's saying lift your eyes up off your circumstances to me i sit in a higher place and not only do i sit there you do also remember how we started the service ephesians these sons and daughters of God sitting in heavenly places with him? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's reliance upon the Holy Spirit in our lives of where our hope and our faith become tethered together. And all of this 
has implications on the way in which you live your life now and into the future. If your, uh, your heart is discouraged right now by the difficulties of the circumstances you face or if you only seek to find joy in just a moment, not recognizing that even the difficult circumstances produce faith and hope, you will miss the joy of planning your future with expectancy, the future that God has for you, the breakthrough that he is wanting to usher in. You know, Jesus came back at Satan's temptation about the bread, reminding him of the lessons taught to the Israelites during the wilderness experience. And he said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live meaning we draw our life from what God is saying and doing, not what, what we want him to be doing. You see the difference? If we focus on his perspective, our needs for now will be met anyway. Jesus promised, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be under. What things is it that, that, that verse goes on at the end before that preceding uh, don't worry about what you'll eat don't worry about what you'll drink don't worry about what you'll wear don't worry about where you live don't worry about any of those things trust in me seek first my kingdom all those things I'll make sure you look you're looked after Bill Johnson says any area of my life for which I have no hope is under the influence of a lie wow Is there an area of our lives where we have no hope? I want to challenge you this morning. It might be because you're believing a lie. Seed your faith in hope. The joyful expectation of a better future based on the promises of God's word. Problems and difficulties that exist in the present, they're invitation for heavenly solutions. That's what they really are. Hope gives us a line to faith which brings trust in difficult and demanding situations. This then draws us to abide with Jesus, leading us into a lifestyle of obedience, keeping in step with him and the spirit, bringing about breakthrough and leading to greater faith and hope for our future. It's almost like a spiral staircase that we walk up anchored by things of hope that build faith. When we choose to trust out of obedience, we continue to abide, and so it goes on. Hope, this state of mind or a way of thinking, should always be anchored in the word of God, his preferred future, the kingdom offers each one of us. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. It's the very thing that's going to draw and lead a line to your faith that will hold you tight to what you believe in the one in whom you trust, the God of this word and all his promises. Why don't you stand? I want to pray with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Lord, our God. We thank you. We thank you that our our hope is in you, Jesus. 
Our hope, it secures us, it, it, it ties us to a faith that believes for and is in who you are, your goodness, your faithfulness, not the strength of our hope, not the strength of our faith, but the strength of the one who gives the promises. These lines that aren't so thick compared to the massive ships they hold. And it's like our faith, Jesus, and even our hope. They're these thin lines, but they hold us securely to you. The one who promises to look after his people. And in these times of uncertainty, we submit ourselves to you afresh. God, you are the source of our hope. We come to you in humility and we say we are in need. Would you restore us? God, bring to mind the ways in which the past you have been faithful, you have been good, where your promises are yes and amen, and we can see you at work in our lives. We trust you in this uncertain time. We trust you for your timing. We know that our prayers and our own situations sometimes feel like they're not, that things aren't changing. But we choose now to trust you. We trust you for your timing. We extend our hope, our confident expectation of desiring what is good in the future that's based on you and your purposes. God, we know you want breakthrough. Breakthrough of your kingdom of heaven to earth, continual breakthrough for your people to live in ways in accordance with your holy word and to, unto you. And so hold us tight by our faith. Continue to give us that joyful hope, that confident expectation. And God, today we choose to be thankful. We choose to not partner with the lie of the enemy and lose hope in any circumstance of our life. And we choose now to partner with you. And we thank you for this day. Thank you for your mercies that are new to us. Thank you for your goodness towards it. Thank you once again for your forgiveness. Thank you for your loving embrace. Thank you for your provision. Thank you, God. We, we're, we wanna be a people of gratitude, of thankfulness. Amidst all that we see around us, our hope, our confident expectation is in you, our great and mighty God. Secure our faith in you and your promises and your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you. May He continue to strengthen you those trials, those things that we're currently facing, the difficulties that are around us. Let's keep our hope hot. Let's keep our faith alive, ready for the breakthrough and the God who can bring it. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, Contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.